0: Welcome to the Real Truth Matters Podcast. I'm Dan Harder, your host. The RTM Podcast is all about showing you how to live in biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect. And now, here's Real Truth Matters founder and director, Michael Durham. Welcome to
1: Podcast Number 24. We appreciate you taking the time to listen, and today I want to go deeper in understanding prayer. How would you define prayer? Is there a biblical definition? Well, not exactly. However, I think Psalm 25, verse 1 is an excellent definition. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. That's what prayer is. It's a turning of the heart and mind towards God, and it's more profound than just the intellect. It's a sharing of your person, your personality, with God. Another way to say it is, it's the giving of yourself and all that makes you, you. It's also a time when we receive from God, and his heart, and I don't mind repeating myself, so let me say it again. Prayer is a real encounter with God, and you can have that more than you believe. So the big question is, how do we have an encounter with God in prayer? Well, let me give you what I believe is a biblical method of prayer. However, I need to warn you, The way each of us practice this method of prayer will vary from person to person. It differs because, well, we're all different from each other. Yes, we're all humans, and we all have a mind, heart, and will, but we're not all alike. We're not the same. You've been uniquely made. I've been uniquely made. and You and I can have even the same personality type, but we'll manifest it differently. This is the creative act and genius of God to make us all unique. Therefore, the way the Lord works in you will be somewhat different in me. He uniquely tailors his approach to each of us based upon our distinct personality. The components of relationship and communion, well, they don't change from person to person, but, but the way it looks and feels will be different. Let me give you an example. Let's take conversion. When the Holy Spirit deals with us and prosecutes his case against our sin, well, we all experience that conviction. And when we're converted, we all experience repentance and faith. But from one person to another, the degree of repentance will vary, and as well the conviction of sin. That process won't be the same for Each of us, some may come under a weightiness that seems to bury them in despair, and it can last a good long while. John Bunyan testified that it lasted almost five years for him, and yet the same Holy Spirit convicts another, and immediately they get it. They repent, they believe, no crushing guilt. Oh, but they do have a sense of guilt, but not this great despair and hope in the gospel comes Quickly. And so the Lord works with us according to our temperament. And that's what's so wonderful about each Christian's relationship with Christ. It's your relationship with God and no one else's. That's why it's so unique. The Lord doesn't treat us like machines or robots. Instead, He meets us as we are and moves us along in a way that we can relate to. So, how do we pray in a meaningful way that's biblical? Well, the first thing, the heart must be prepared to pray. Now, this is something forgotten to us today, and you hardly ever hear it discussed. When you pray, whether it be morning, noon, or night, you're usually not ready to pray. So there has to be a preparatory work of the heart in order to pray. Now, this is very important to recognize and to learn. I want to quote a very godly man that lived in 19th century Scotland. His name was Robert Murray McShane. He experienced a genuine revival in his church in Dundee, Scotland. Men who knew McShane said of him that he was the holiest man they had ever met. A man was introduced to McShane, and after the introduction, the man quickly departed to find a room where he just simply broke down and wept. He said he had never met a man that so reminded him of Christ. So we're talking about a man who said of himself that there was not a man that he knew as well as he knew the Lord Jesus, and therefore he was a man of prayer. McShane said that he spent much of his prayer time preparing to pray. He said it this way, quote, a great part of my time is spent getting in tune for prayer, end of quote. In order to pray, you must prepare to pray. There are times you will experience that it will take you more time to get your heart and mind ready to pray than it will to pray. Most of your time will be consumed with the preparation of prayer. Now, friends, we must know the difference between having free and direct access to God and properly entering His presence. A man or a woman must not flippantly come before the Lord, nor should they come lacking the awe and reverence of who He is. We dare not act like He is one of us. Prayer that is void of mental concentration is prayer void of holy communion. I'm not saying that we cannot freely and boldly make our way to heaven's throne, nor am I saying that we must earn our way into the presence of God. No, not at all. I'm advocating that if we do not stop and consider our hearts and minds and get them ready to address our Father who is also the Creator, then we're not taking prayer seriously and we're not taking the Lord serious. Often our hearts are dull, not oriented to pray. There are distractions we deal with, and sometimes we're not conscious of the presence of God, and all we're doing is just simply saying prayers. We are not praying. Oh, how sad it is to pray, but not really pray. That means you're simply saying prayer, speaking words, but not praying. You're not in tune with the Lord whom you're supposed to be addressing. You're merely going through the routine of prayer. But real prayer is not really happening. Let me quote John Bunyan again. He said much of the same thing about preparing to pray. He said, quote, oh, the evasions or loopholes that the heart hath in the time of prayer. None knows how many byways the heart hath and back lanes to slip away from the presence of God end of quote. It's little wonder that we don't experience God in our prayer time if our heart is not prepared for an encounter with the living God. Therefore, before you pray, you must spend time preparing your heart. Unfortunately, most of you don't do that. You just start praying. Some begin by reading devotional material before praying or reading their Bibles. I think that's a step in the right direction, but There's more that needs to be done. So how do you prepare the heart? The first insight on heart preparation that I want to share with you is that you first must make yourself remember and believe your destitution, poverty, and emptiness. You've got to acknowledge and be keenly aware that the cupboards of your heart are empty, the shelves of the heart are bare, and there's nothing there. Christians have a terrible tendency to forget the fact that in ourselves we're naturally deplete of anything good. The only good thing we possess is Christ himself living and abiding with us. We seem to have memory lapses of what our blessed Lord Jesus taught us. He said, for without me, you can do nothing. We forget and forsake the very first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We wrongly think that poverty of spirit is a description of our pre-Christian life. We wrongly think that it's only true of the sinner. Now we're different. We're no longer that way, but that's not correct. It's just as true about you now as it was before you were a Christian. In fact, Jesus meant us to understand that poverty of spirit is a description of the Christian in the kingdom of God. Our Lord in his Sermon on the Mount is describing those who are already in the kingdom. He establishes this as the all-important foundation for the remainder of the Beatitudes. It's constantly true of you, my friend, that you're poor in spirit. You're always spiritually bankrupt. It's at this point that a well-intentioned soul will say to me, but wait a minute, we Christians are rich. We possess the riches of Christ. Well, my friend, you're rich in Christ, yes, but not in you, not in yourself. We have a wealth that's presently spiritual and one one day will be material. It's recorded in the Word of God that he, Jesus Christ, though he was rich yet for your sakes became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Yes, yes, we're rich, but our wealth is Christ left to myself. I'm as poor as the day God found me. And that's why the Lord said to the apostles in John 15, Without me, you can do nothing. Now, you've got to believe this. If you're going to experience relationship with Jesus, then you've got to come back to this basic truth. It's a fundamental truth. You are bankrupt. You and I have nothing with which to impress God or move His heart towards us. And apart from Him indwelling you, you have nothing within you to move your heart towards Him. You need the Lord to move your heart towards Him. Without the Holy Spirit's help, our hearts cannot rightly prize Him. We don't appreciate Him, love Him, or worship Him as we should. Our natural and carnal tendency is to always value ourselves and our happiness above the Lord. We will always value our pleasure above His pleasure. And when that happens, my friend, you feel less need to pray. You're full and complete in yourself. Why then should you feel necessity to pray? Any prayer you offer to God is merely form and no substance. It's duty and mere formality. Therefore, I must prepare my heart. And to prepare my heart to pray and have conversation with God... I must first remember and believe what the Lord has said I am, that I am spiritually bankrupt. Second, I must not only know that I am poor, but I should feel my poverty and my desperation for God. Where does this sense of desperation come from? Well, it comes from my destitution, my spiritual poverty. But if I don't believe... I'm spiritually poor. I will not depend upon the Lord for what I need, and therefore I will not be desperate. May I suggest you meditate on the fact that if God lets you live according to your own strength, you will definitely fail. You ought to think about that. You need to consider your dire need for the Holy Spirit and His operation in you. Let your mind focus on that fact. Think to yourself, I need God. I can't even pray without Him. Often I have to do what the psalmist in Psalm 42 practiced. He preached to himself. He said to himself, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Psalm 42, verse 5, He grabbed himself, spiritually speaking, and he to himself and this is what we have to do if you're going to succeed in prayer and have genuine communion with god you need to know how to take yourself by the nap of your neck and preach but if you don't do that well then you will pray in your own strength and your prayer time will be lifeless some of you may be wondering do you really talk to yourself like that when you pray or get ready to pray And the answer is, yes, I do. And you must talk to yourself, preach to yourself, give counsel to yourself. Now, sometimes it may take just 30 seconds of this kind of reality check, and my heart's ready to pray. Sometimes it takes me 30 minutes. But I know I can't have the reality of His presence until I'm desperate, because when I feel my desperation, I will run. I'll fly to the only one that can help me, my Lord and my God. So let's repeat this before we proceed. First, I remember my spiritual poverty and my need for the Lord. Second, I not only believe my need, but I feel it as well. And then third, I must discern the Lord's presence. I must discern the Lord's presence. Discerning the presence of God is vital to prayer because biblical prayer is communion with God. Now, what do I mean by discerning the Lord's presence? I'm not talking about anything mystical. Instead, I'm simply stressing the need to believe that the Lord is with you and in your closet or place of prayer. Discerning the Lord's presence is an awareness, a realization that God is with you and he's near you. I've learned I cannot and do not pray until I'm conscious of his presence. I've learned that about my own heart, that I'm not ready to pray until I have a sense of the presence of God. Now, I don't mean feeling something unusual. You can discern his presence without feeling anything out of the ordinary. What I am suggesting isn't novel. It's not original with me. It's biblical. It was the biblical practice of God's men in the Bible. For example, in Psalm 16, verse 8, David said, I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand, I shall not be moved. David was practicing the presence of God. He was conscientiously setting God before him. He if you please, imagine that God was at his right hand and knowing that he would not be moved. In Psalm 73, verse 28, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I've put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. I love how the Christian Standard Bible translates that verse. Here's what it says. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge. What is good? What is it that for me means absolute goodness? God's presence. That's my good. Again, I'm not talking about emotions. I'm speaking about faith and by faith knowing the reality of his presence. When you truly believe the promise of his abiding presence, then there is this sense of his reality the mind immediately shifts to the awareness that God is near. You don't make it happen. It happens naturally. Yes, it's true that you will often feel the presence of God because emotions are nothing more than the result of our thoughts. But sometimes you don't feel the presence of God and you don't need to feel it. Again, I'm not talking about emotions primarily. It's the reality that His Word is true And that's good enough for you. Now, what do I mean by the word reality? Well, I don't mean what others mean when they say, well, just take it by faith that it's real. My friend, that's caused more damage and it hasn't answered anything. When someone says take it by faith, what they mean is accept the thing in question as true. To take the presence of God by faith to them means to accept the fact that God is with you. Well, of course it's true. And we do accept that as truth, but faith is much more than just intellectual agreement. It's the very substance of things hoped for, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith accepts and commits itself to the truth. Faith accepts and acts upon it. In the case of the abiding presence of God, if you really believe God is with you, the fact of God's presence changes everything. You pray as if he's right there with you because he is right there. Now, there's a hard to define line from mental ascent to the fact becoming a living reality, but it's a line. And when that line is crossed, which must be crossed, that it's no longer just information, but something real to you, then you experience the presence of God and you're able to commune with him. Let me give you an example. I, like most people, thought the more I could feel God's presence, the stronger my faith would be. And God in His goodness did something for me several years ago that I've never forgotten, and I'm so thankful, even though it was a really hard time. He let me go through a very spiritually dry season. There was no joy in God, nor much of anything else. I was so discouraged, I couldn't feel God's presence. And so I decided I'd pray three hours a day, seeking the Lord for a revival in my own heart. So I would go to my office in the morning at the church and told my secretary to hold all my calls unless it was an emergency, and so for three hours I would pray. Now some days I could pray all three hours, some days I could only pray three minutes and that was it. But I had promised the Lord three hours, so on those days when I couldn't pray, I'd just read my Bible and say, Lord, here I am. I'm waiting on you, and then I'd go back to reading, and I might pray that again, on and off. And that went on for about a month and a half. Nothing happened. On a particular Saturday, I told my wife I was going to go to the church to pray. I knew no one would be there, so I could just really pour out my heart and grief to God. And once again, I told the Lord my complaint. At some point, I got up off of my knees and began to walk the perimeter of the sanctuary, yelling. Yeah, (laughs) I was talking quite loudly. God, where are you? I can't feel you anymore. Lord, if I could just feel you, my faith would increase. And immediately, A thought powerfully came into my mind. Feelings never produce faith, but faith will produce the corresponding biblical emotions. And instantly I understood. I got it. Since I was seeking for a restored sense of God's presence in my life, I started to remember and meditate on every promise of God's abiding presence with me that I could remember. Like Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Matthew 28.20, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Or Isaiah forty three five, Fear not, for I am with you. And I looked at those promises. I turned them around and looked at them from every angle. I analyzed them. I thought about them. I contemplated their meaning. And the more I looked at them... I saw who it was that promised them. These were the promises of a faithful God who cannot lie. I deduced that since they are true, that can only mean that the Lord was right there with me at that present moment. He was in that sanctuary with me. He had never left me for one second. And I chose to believe. And the moment I believed, something happened. I'm sure, my friends, you know what happened. I immediately felt our blessed Lord's presence. Through that experience, I learned what mediates the presence of God to us. In other words, what is it that brings the reality of God's presence to us? Well, that something is faith. Specifically, it's the truth of God believed. When you truly believe the promise of his presence, the presence of God becomes real to you. God's presence is mediated through truth believed. Now, that's not something mystical. It's not some out-of-body experience. It isn't anything extraordinary. It's merely, simply believing God's promised presence. We've all been taught that the way to oppose the devil is by quoting Scripture to him. It's been said he can't stand it when someone quotes the Bible to him. And, of course, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness is the proof text of this practice. The enemy comes to Jesus and says, If you're the Son of God, turn these stones into bread, Matthew 4, three, But our Lord fights back. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Yes, indeed, Jesus resisted Satan by quoting scripture. But quoting scripture will not resist the devil. Did you hear me? Quoting scripture doesn't resist the devil. That's not what that account in our Lord's life teaches us. You may quote Bible verses to the devil all day long if you desire, but don't be surprised if you should find out that he can quote Scripture right back to you. In fact, I would say he probably has the whole Bible memorized. The devil even started quoting Scripture to Jesus. So if you want to have a Bible-quoting drill with the devil, go ahead, my friend, but don't be upset when you lose. It's not Scriptures quoted that sets the devil to flee. No, it's Scripture quoted. Quoted and believed. That's what resists the devil and puts him to flight. It's faith in the word of God that Satan cannot resist. Faith in the word of God is insurmountable for every devil in hell. Now, my object lesson is simple. Knowing the promises of God's abiding presence is not enough. It is faith in those promises that makes the presence of God a reality. And this is what preparing the heart to pray looks like. You focus on the promises of his presence with you until they're more than just facts. You meditate on them until faith has fed on them until it comes into full strength. And when you do that, and you know that you are in the presence of God Almighty, well, then you're ready to pray. Now, I'm not offering this as a formula. You turn this into a formula, and it will not work. These are principles, biblical principles. They're true about us and our hearts. And without these biblical principles employed, prayer remains in the outer land of just simple mechanics, ritual, and dead form. This is not a mind game. It's not psychological self-hypnosis. It's not mind over matter. No, no, it's truth over matter. The truth says he's right here. And when you believe that, then you'll be ready to pray. I don't believe we're ready to pray until we're conscious of his presence. So, don't run into prayer rattling off your prayer list and end by tacking on the end of your prayer in Jesus' name, amen. No, Get your heart warm by focus and meditating on the Holy One to whom you will be addressing in prayer. Think about His greatness, His grandeur. Remember His wonderful acts of kindness to you. And then believe His promises, especially those promises that warm the heart immediately when they are believed. This is the way to prepare for prayer. Well, if you have any questions, Please sit down and send us an email. You can address your email to web at realtruthmatters.com. That's all one word, web at realtruthmatters.com. And include, please, with your question, your name. Uh, we want your name because we might use it in a Q&A on one of these episodes, but also because one special questioner will receive a signed copy of my book, The Fight of Faith. Well, on behalf of all of us here at Real Truth Matters Ministries, I want to thank you for tuning in and may the Lord richly bless you with His love in a real and tangible way.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Truth Matters Podcast. I hope you can see that Christianity is profoundly experiential but always based on the objective truth of Scripture. If you have questions or comments, please send them to our email address web at realtruthmatters.com That's web at realtruthmatters.com Real Truth Matters podcast, dedicated to biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect.